Have you ever had one of those weeks? Have you ever felt the pressures of work, duties, of marital life, of, of parenting, of, of parents, of kids, of bills, of church, all culminate into one huge ball of stress? Have you ever felt insignificant and underappreciated? Have you ever felt the weight of the world bearing down on your shoulders and your knees buckling and everything will come crashing down very soon? I've had one of those weeks this week. Um, this week for me has been one of the more stressful in, a, in, in quite a while. Um, not only has work worries plagued me all week, uh, but on Tuesday, I think it was, I got hit in the head with a, the bucket of a track hoe, which is a, a large piece of equipment swinging around and, and caught me right across the head and, and under the ear. Were it not for a hard hat, I, I wouldn't be standing here right now. Um, long hours at work during the day, long hours at night, sermon prepping, um, it's been a week. During this week, I wanted to give up. I wanted to run away. I wanted to hide in a hole and never come out. But the Lord sustained me by two things. Number one, uh, he sustained me through the word of God. In 2 Thessalonians 3, how appropriate this sermon that I would be preaching today was throughout the week as I read it and meditated on it. As I prayed it, it ministered to me and peeled back the layers of my life where I most needed its salve. How good is the Lord that he provided his word so acutely to my needs. Number two was prayer. On Monday, because of the, the weekend that led up to this week, Lindsay actually, my wife Lindsay, uh, reached out to some women in our church and just kind of told them the circumstances and asked for their prayer. And encouragement began to flood in uh, to, her, to her phone via text message, uh, via Voxer, and, and via phone calls, knowing that these women uh, were sending us words of encouragement and praying for us. Not only that, I reached out to some men that are close to me for counsel and for prayer, and the Lord was faithful. The Lord was faithful in providing His grace for us through the prayers of Gospel Community Church. And I just want to say, this isn't part of my sermon, I just wanted to say thank you for our church family, to our church family for your thoughts uh, in your prayers this week. You have no idea the encouragement that they were to my family and, and to the word going forth today. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. This has caused me to ask myself, how can I grow in my prayer life and in my dependence upon God? I've been in a prayer rut before. Have you? You see, this is what happens when we don't understand what prayer is and what it does. 
We were all too lulled into complacency in believing that, especially in the South, prayer is reserved for two times a day. Do you know when those are? Mealtime and bedtime. We feel like if we can pray over our fried chicken sandwich that it may somehow be nourishing to our bodies and that at night we can get rest and not be robbed, we can check off that box and go about our day. What weak faith we often have. As Satan desires to sift us like sand and we are praying over our chicken minis. To grow in our prayer life, we need to pray as if on mission. God desires that his word go forth across the earth, snatching people from death unto life. And he desires that we, his children, participate. That's worth praying urgently for. This is a desperate and urgent communication with God, which he calls us to. Missionaries and church planters are fighting alongside God to push the gospel forward throughout the world. And just because we're not on the front lines of the expansion of the gospel into cultures and people groups that have never heard the name of Christ, doesn't mean that we can continue to live in a bubble that says, if I don't see it, It isn't happening. There are people near and abroad that need our prayer, and we must be on mission to provide it. We must be on mission in our own church as well. There are men and women right here, right now, who've had one of those weeks. There are those who are hurting that need prayer for healing. There are those who still don't see clearly the glory of Christ that need prayer for salvation. Yet the culture is constantly trying to conform us into lawless men and women, void of moral imperatives and biblical adherence. So how do we press back against this? How do we push back against the darkness? How do we work alongside God in the advancement of his gospel and his perfect plan? We pray. And so we come to the text today In 2 Thessalonians 3, Paul has gone out from this church. And when I say gone out, he was snuck out in the middle of the night for threat of being killed once again. He's gone out from them for just several months, and now he's in another city, the city of Corinth, as he's riding back to them. And he spends the bulk of his letters encouraging them in the Lord, encouraging them in the end times, encouraging them in the surety of their salvation. And now he has one request, that they pray. That they pray for him, that as he's on the front lines, they are in Thessalonica, stoking the fires of God's will to press on and advance the word into hostile territory. What a mighty ask. And what a glorious role that they can play in the eternity of those who are presently dead in their sins and in their trespasses. And I believe that this message today is a call to us, a call to action that our prayers would explode with purpose as we turn our focus toward the mission of the will of God. If you have your Bibles, would you please turn with me to the beginning of chapter 3 in 2 Thessalonians. 
Paul begins this, this chapter saying, finally, brothers, pray for us. If you can think of one person who wouldn't need the prayers of other people, wouldn't that be the Apostle Paul? He, he has seen the resurrected Christ and been personally commissioned by him to be an apostle. He knows the gospel backwards and forwards. He could pray impressive prayers on his own. He's been on the front lines of the fight to press the gospel through the known world for many years now. So it seems out of place that this apostle would then ask for the Thessalonians' prayer. Yet he does it time and time again in the different letters that he asks or that he writes uh, to the churches that he's left behind uh, to remind the readers that they are also involved in the mission. This week, as Lindsay and I were talking about our own prayer lives, a question that I, that I posed was, why does it seem so difficult to pray? The Bible obviously calls us to pray. Jesus teaches us how to pray. Paul here desires our prayer, so why is it so difficult for us to pray? Uh, we came up with three reasons, and I believe that these aren't just our reasons, but, but, but they may be yours too. Number one was busyness. Busyness is like an idol in our culture, isn't it? How was your week? Busy. How about yours? I hope mine was busier than yours. There's no time in our schedule. There's no time in our schedule to pray. The checklist that we have in our mind, or for some of you on a piece of paper, outweighs the time available. So when can we get to this? Not alone, or also if, if we're not praying, we're probably also not reading our Bible. And if we're not reading our Bible, we're probably also not spending time with the Lord. We're busy. We're busy people. I think this is a symptom of number two, pride. Pride causes us not to pray because we feel like we can accomplish our checklist by ourselves without any help from anyone else, let alone God. I feel myself falling into that trap often as I feel the pressures mounting from the outside and my shoulders are heavy with burdens of the world and I often clench my teeth and bear the weight that is on me on my own. This for me makes me physically tired and lifeless. I'm also emotionally vacant because I'm so focused on clenching my teeth and, and, and holding the weight that's pressing me down. And I'm also spiritually, or also spiritually, I continue to tell God, I've got this. I'm strong enough. All I need to do is pull myself up by the bootstraps, uh, stand more sturdy, and, and do this. That's what men do, is they, they handle the load that's placed on them. We're prideful. I, I think 
Often, the third reason is maybe the most embarrassing. Um, Our prayers are boring. You, You know what boring prayers are, right? They're prayers that begin and end on you. Those are the boring prayers. It gets boring to ask for more and more things. It gets boring when all my prayers terminate on my wants and my needs. Too many of us are plagued with this kind of self-help, self-focused prayer life that it just flounders because it gets boring to just talk about ourselves. Maybe you can relate to, to one or two or, or, or all three of these, um, th- these reasons for, for not praying. Um, I think what we all need is to be able to then, instead of focusing on these, to focus on who God is and who he calls us to be in relationship to himself. Prayer is communication with God. That, that, that's scandalous. That's scandalous that the God and creator of the universe allows us into his presence. Though we are weak and we are sinful. So how does he do that? How, how do we, his children, be able to come into his presence? Is it not but through Christ? Christ is our high priest in which we are able to come into the throne room of of God and petition him boldly. So may our prayers be bold. And it is a way to show our utter dependence on him and be involved in the working out of his will. John Piper says, prayer is the open admission that without Christ, we can do nothing. And prayer is the turning away from ourselves to God in the confidence that he will provide the help we need. That just crushes pride right there, doesn't it? That crushes pride right there when we must admit we're totally dependent on you, Lord. And then we must trust in God that he is totally there to provide our needs. So some of you may be saying, well, okay, you've told me what not to do, so, so then what do I do? How do I pray? And I think that's an acceptable question. Even the disciples who walked along Jesus asked, teacher, how do we pray? I, w- I would say the first way that we can begin to develop a robust prayer life is to pray scripture. If your prayers are boring and you feel like all you're doing is repeating your own words, it's not boring to pray the words of God back to himself in a mirror reflecting his glory back to him. Pray the words of scripture. It's perfectly acceptable As you read through the book of Psalms, pray back to God those prayers and those hymns that he's perfectly written for us to apply to our life. As you're reading through the Old Testament, can't we often, or can't we pray for thanksgiving for God's creation, 
God's faithfulness in chasing after his people, his love, and his long suffering. We can also pray through 2 Thessalonians 3 Lord, may your word speed ahead and be honored in Fayetteville and beyond. Another way that may be helpful. Uh, to pray is through an acronym, ACTS. Many of you have probably already heard that, but if not, let me walk through it. ACTS stand for adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Supplication meaning asking for things. So do you see how this is ordered? ACTS, adoration. God, I love you. You are good. You are great. You are all that I need. I utterly depend on you. I adore you. Right there, we're putting God in his place as above all in us in our place in utter dependence on him. That moves us right into confession, confessing how we have inverted those roles, how we have placed our needs and our wants and our desires above a good, good father. And, but we know we are able to come to him confessing our sins and that he is faithful to forgive, which leads us then to thanksgiving. We, as Christians, should be the most thankful people being saved from death unto life. That alone gives us something to pray about urgently and desperately. And with supplication, we draw near to our good Father, who is in his right place to be adored. We are in our right place, having confessed our lowliness of sin, and we ask. We, we, we ask. In the throne room of God, do we ask for small things? No. We ask for Big things, not bigger house or bigger cars or, or nicer clothes. May your word go forth. May your kingdom come. Lord Jesus, come and rescue us. We, we don't ask for small things because God in his love and good purposes allows us to communicate with him in prayer for our good and his glory that his will may go forth in the world. That's a big thing. Paul echoes this by calling us into prayer in this mission that he's on. So let's move on. Still in verse 1, he says, Pray for us, big ask, that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored. So from leaving Thessalonica, he goes through Berea and he uh, preaches in Athens. Athens was the intellectual capital of the Roman world where he took on the Greek elite and philosophers. Now he's moved on to Corinth in an extremely pagan city where he's battling against ideas that press against the goodness of the gospel. And from there, he plans to preach even to Rome. 
the administrative capital. Paul's goal was to press the gospel further and further into the world, and he shows here that he did not rely on his knowledge or his speaking skills, but on God and through the prayers of his people. Let's think for a second about what he's asking for as we pray for the word of the Lord to speed ahead. The word he uses for for speed can be taken in two different ways. One, as an Olympic sprinter, that it may go fast, that it may go as fast as it can, that it may go forward and overtake the world quickly. Another way to think about it is as an advancing army that the word of the Lord would advance, that it would overtake much ground. If we are in a war against the darkness, it is the objective and the mission to advance and shine the light of the gospel into more and more territory. When Paul enters a city, he preaches the word of, the God, of God to the Jews who know God, but have not encountered the truth that the Messiah has come. And he preaches to the Gentiles that there is one God with whom relationship has been fractured through sin, but that God in love has sent a Redeemer, an atonement for their sin, Jesus Christ, and that through belief in him, they may have life. That they may have life. People's eternal souls hang in wait for the advance of the gospel So he says, may it speed ahead to them and that it may be honored. It's not just enough that the gospel comes to them. It's easy enough to hear the gospel and to reject it, but he wants it to be honored. The Greek word for honored here is, let me say it right, doxazotai, doxazotai, which means to be glorified. Pray that the word may speed ahead and be glorified. So what does glorified mean? It means generally to be revealed for what it is. Paul's here is saying there's a difference between the word of the Lord reaching you and the Lord of the word of the Lord reaching into your heart and you accepting it for what it truly is. The power of God for salvation unto those who believe. He's asking that they pray, that the word goes forth through the world and saves people. What a great thing to pray. In fact, God says that that's his desire as well. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, he says, This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Do Do you see it? We are praying, your will be done. God desires that men come to a knowledge of the truth. How are they to come to a knowledge of the truth that the word of the Lord speed ahead and be glorified in their hearts? And it will. The word of the Lord, the gospel, will overcome obstacles, speed ahead and be glorified, Paul says here, because... His people pray. But, but he goes on to, to, to modify it. He goes on to add this tag to it. 
as happened among you. May the word of the Lord speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. Let's read how it was glorified among them in 1 Thessalonians 1, 4 through 8. It says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. Pardon me. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word with much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. It is apparent that the word has come upon them and it was glorified because of their full conviction through the Holy Spirit. And now now they're acting differently. They're acting so differently that as as Paul travels from place to place, from city to city, they're saying, tell us more about these Thessalonians. I hear how they're acting. I hear that they're rejoicing in the Lord. Tell us about that. I believe that a great way to be on mission for the word to be glorified is to remember what that same word has done in you. Many of you in here have received Christ as your personal savior. You did this through the knowledge of your sinful condition and that your sin then is punishable by death and eternal separation from God, but through Jesus Christ who died in your place and for your sins, you have been given eternal life and reconciled relationship with God. And we say, wow, I want that for other people too. I want the spiritually dead to be made alive with Christ. I want the valley of dry bones to be given the breath of life. I desire, like God, that all people be saved. Therefore, I will give my life over to the mission of the advancement of the Word of God here and abroad. May we as a church, may we be on our knees praying that the word be glorified here in this city, in Inverness, Scotland, in cultures, in people groups, in languages that have never heard the word of Jesus. May it speed ahead even now and today and be glorified there. For we're so excited about the the, the glorification of the word in our lives and how it's changed us. How can we not be excited about God's will going forth and people being added to the family. Now, Paul asks them for one more thing. In verse 2, he says, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. The ministry of Paul was littered with acts of wicked and evil men. He was kicked out thrown out, beat out, or snuck out of most of the cities he preached. He says here in 2 Corinthians 11, 
Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in dangers of rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, and toil and hardship, though many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. So, so what did Paul mean by delivered? Does he want out of this lifestyle? It doesn't seem like it because we know from Scripture he continues to put himself in the face of danger. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that he dies daily, which can be taken to mean that he is on death's doorstep every day for the calls of the gospel. So don't take from his prayer request that he is saying, may we be delivered from these bad guys so that I can retire to the beach. So I can spend more time reading the newspaper um, and filling my days with errands. But rather, may I be delivered from this trial to the next. May this one not slow me down. Lord, may these evil men not hinder your mission. May we pray like that. I found myself praying that this week as trial and trial and affliction came upon me. Don't slow me down, Lord. Don't slow me down. The wicked, wicked here is from the Greek word atapos which means out of place or perverse or unreasonable. Which is funny because Greek men in this world were the epicenter of logic and reason. These two, logic and reason, were to that culture godlike and to be worshipped and sought after with all vigor. So it becomes humorous that Paul would call these men of reasoning unreasonable. But God uses the weak things of the world to shame the strong and the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God was using the prayers of recent converts to shame the smarty pants of Greece. This is because God considers unreasonable any attempt to thwart his will and shun his word. Are you being unreasonable today? like we all once were? Are you acting in opposition to God, trying to be a good person without repenting to God for how rebellious you have been against His free gift of grace? Are you seeking a life of freedom without seeking God? The Bible says you are a slave to sin and not free at all. Do you just want to live your life Without anyone telling you what to do, the Bible says you are dead in your sin, a pawn of Satan, and bound for eternity separated from God. But God offers to make you alive through Christ. I pray that you would take this invitation 
today. Pray the most important prayer that that you will ever pray. Lord, forgive me. I'm a sinner. I trust in you and accept you as my Savior. I want to be your son. And I want you to be my father. Moving on to verse 3. I think it's the same flow of thought, though, because he just said, for not all are faithful. But now what does he say? But the Lord is faithful. Not all are faithful, but the Lord is faithful. Paul can have confidence in his ministry. Not in confidence of his ability, because he will preach and people will not believe. It's not a confidence in his strength of his past performance because his past performance are but filthy rags. He can have confidence in only one thing, that the Lord is faithful. Paul rested his entire ministry on the faithfulness of God. He would say something like this, I'm going into this city where I'm unwanted and my message will be hated. Hopefully, when I am kicked out, I won't also be stoned, but I'm going in anyway because the Lord is faithful. While in Corinth, where both 1st and 2nd Thessalonians was written, the Lord came to Paul in a dream. This is just speculation, but maybe this is after his people in Thessalonica have prayed for him that the Lord would protect him from the evil one. He says this, or the Lord says this, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And Paul stayed there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. God is faithful. God is faithful to those in that city. And he's faithful to Paul. To preserve Paul from wicked and evil men so that he can preach to those in the city of Corinth. That they may hear the word. That the word may be honored that they may be saved. God is faithful to save his children. God is faithful to keep whole his messenger. Moving on, Paul Paul changes his tone here. He says, he will establish you and guard you against the evil one. He redirects his focus from pray for the word of the Lord to speed forth and to deliver us from evil men to the Lord will establish you and guard you against the evil one. We are at war. Satan is mounting attacks across the earth. So not only in Corinth is he getting opposition, but in Thessalonica, there is opposition. So how do we persevere in this opposition? Know this, that the presence of opposition does not mean the absence of God. 
because he's faithful to establish you and protect you. In fact, the opposite is true of that. Where God is not present in a church or region, Satan has no need to attack. However, where God's word is advancing and taking hold, we are likely to find it. So here Paul is saying, I'm on the front lines and getting opposed. But even in your opposition in Thessalonica, the Lord is there with you. He who started this work through me, Paul, will finish it to the end because he is faithful. Because he is faithful. Ephesians 6 says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Satan vehemently opposes the spread of the word of the Lord. We see this today, don't we? Just turn on the news in many countries. And by the way, not just in Iraq and Iran, Christian men and women are being run out of their homes. They're being killed and imprisoned. They're being raped and persecution of Christians that we see in the world today and in the news and on the internet is at the hands of wicked and evil men by the urging along of the evil one. Just because we don't see it and experience it here doesn't mean it's not happening. We are at war. The front lines are all over the world and we at home have a responsibility pray, to pray big prayers, to pray for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters across the globe, pray for the speeding ahead of the gospel and the reception of it, the victory of it, the honoring and glorifying of it in those countries. Here in America, The gospel of Jesus Christ is being silenced by judges and lawmakers, uh, by lawless agendas that are being pushed into the mainstream, such as abortion, same-sex marriage, and the confusion over gender identity. Also, more subtly, by giving us treats and goodies in exchange for complacency. Security and pleasures of the flesh the retirement mindset. These are all goodies that we get from from Satan to lull us into, not seeing that we're in a fight, not seeing that we're in the battle because we've got it so good. Y'all just hush up now. Take your candy. (laughs) Also, Gospel Community Church, as we planted the church some five years ago now, was planted amid financial, marital, pregnancy-related hardships that seem to be overwhelming. Satan is present in the pushing forth of the gospel. But we must press on. The gospel doesn't go forward without persecution, and many times, not at all, Uh, But many times it's under such persecution that the gospel does speed forth more rapidly. And it seems that 
when suffering increases, more true joy and true hope is provided by the grace of God. We can have peace. We can have peace, but it's not from being delivered from persecution. It's knowing that it is God who establishes us. It is God who saves us. It is our salvation from the work of God through Christ on the cross that we can overcome Satan. No matter the affliction, no matter the trial, no matter the persecution, our eternal security outshines our current conflicts. I'm going to move forward quickly uh, through these last two sets of verses. Paul goes on to say, And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will be doing the things that we command. Do you see where Paul's confidence is? It's in the Lord. Why Paul, why, sorry, why? Because Paul knows that it is the Lord who will establish and guard you because he is faithful. God is faithful to save his children. He is faithful to establish them in the faith and in sound doctrine, protecting them from the evil one who will attack them from all sides and all angles. And he is faithful to grow them by sanctifying them through their trials and afflictions and in participation and the advancement of God's word. In his final prayer for them, he moves from asking for prayer from them to this final doxology or prayer. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Paul once again prays for them that God would direct their path for them to accomplish his good purposes in them through their prayer. A praying people is a desperate people, desperate for the steadfastness of Christ, who in the ultimate act of persecution was crucified for us and for them. If you feel insignificant today, God offers you a high level position in his kingdom that is to pray for the word of the Lord to advance and to be victorious in all nations, cultures, and people groups, including here in Fayetteville. Just a few points of application that I, I want to leave us with that, that, that I hope will influence, that I hope will draw some urgency to our prayer lives. Number one. Pray for the mission of the will of God. I don't want to continue to belabor the point, but I do want us to begin a prayer life that sees the needs outside of us. As I said earlier, that, 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 that terminates on something that's greater than us. Yes, pray for yourself but pray for the mission of the will of God to go forth as his word go for, goes forth in this world that people are saved. The next president won't be our salvation. The bombing and destruction of ISIS will not be our salvation, but only the return of the Lord, only the salvation that comes 
through the honoring and glorifying of his word. Number two, be open to pray for others. Be open to pray for others. We are a church that prays. Our power is in our prayers. We, like I said, we reached out and you prayed. And that prayer was felt through my week and the week that my family had. Would you offer that to others? At the end of the service, would, and throughout the week, would you be asking each other, how can I pray for you? And don't forget to pray. I was going to add that earlier, but I was like, ah, that's, it's kind of stepping on people's toes because I, I do the same thing. Hey, David, pray for me for this. And I go about my busy life and forget. I've made it a point this week when somebody asks me for prayer, I stopped right then. I prayed because that is what God calls us to do. That is how we tap into his grace and his goodness. Number three, be open for others to pray for you. Don't be prideful. Don't be prideful. Don't be arrogant like you don't need prayer. Don't sit in your seat when we offer an invitation to go back and have our prayer team pray for you and not experience the power of God through the intercession of his children. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ as you go forward in prayer. Now, let us pray. Father God, May your word go forth. May it speed ahead in this world and be honored. Would, pe would people in this room right now receive your word as salvation? Would people in Fayetteville receive your word as salvation? Would people in America receive your word and beyond would this world come to its knees, honoring and glorifying you through your word, through your gospel. May we be delivered from wicked and evil men, evil institutions, evil uh, governments that, that try to hinder it, that try to shut it down, that as we shine the light of your gospel, Try to cover it with their darkness. May that shine your light even brighter. May we trust in your faithfulness. Would you establish us, protect us, and may we grow in our love of God and in the steadfastness of Christ. In Jesus' name. I pray. Amen.